0: night this is the internet and i don't know about all of you but we feel like talking about star trek i'm john champion and i'm can ray and that must make this mission log live
1: tonight as we do we're breaking down the latest episode of star trek discovery into the forest i go therefore into the contact details i go join us right now by clicking on the zoom meeting link from your pc or mac that link is right there above and below this video uh, you can also call us six six nine nine zero zero six eight three three 900 6833 from your phone and typing the meeting code on the screen. Uh, you can also use the one tap from your smartphone and be connected that way. I remember those numbers do change from week to week. So write them in pencil, but don't don't do it in pen because, you know, that just messes up the wall.
0: <laughs> Ken and our dear listeners, as you may remember, we've been doing a straw poll from week to week. Now, last week's poll, we asked you about Saru's violence. What's up with that? And the choice is where I get it or I don't get it. And the I get it, won. the I get it at 61%, the I don't get it at 39%. So thank you for everybody who chimed in on that. And I believe, Ken, we have a new poll this week. Do we not? We do have a new poll this week. Captain Lorca, good guy or bad guy?
1: Now, uh, there's a bit more nuance to this question than you might think. We know that Captain Lorca is up to something. And I'm not saying we suspect that Captain Lorca is up to something. You know, the Internet's a marvelous thing, John. It's a crazy, crazy thing. And, uh, and all the digital video is also crazy. Somebody mm-hmm. last night went, or maybe even the night before, went and paused whatever it was that Lorca was doing on his captain's chair. Uh-huh. And uh, he typed in an override. So they were going to do a jump to starbase 46, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah. They' were going to do a, a jump to starbase 46, oh, so close to starbase 47 so close so close yeah and uh, and he put in an override. So we know that Lorca is up to something. We no longer suspect we know for certain he's doing something. Um, we don't know whether or not what he's doing is good or bad, and so mm. that's the question with that bit of nuance, uh, Captain Lorca good guy or bad guy. Remember your vote is important. No, not for this poll, (laughs) but we'd love your vote on the poll anyway, please.
0: Yes. So, um, Ken, here we are at the mid season break for star Trek Mm -hmm. discovery. Uh, the show resumes on January 7th, 2018, and we'll be taking a little bit of time off during the hiatus, but, but watch this space. Um, I want to let people know that we're kicking around some new ideas. So uh, don't be surprised if we chime in live with you from time to time between now and then, between now and the return of Discovery. So Mission Log Live, it, it is its own thing. It's not just the Discovery show. It is Mission Log Live. And uh, Ken, I, I enjoy doing this. I enjoy doing the live thing with you and with our listeners and all the people who like to chime in and share their opinions.
1: I do also enjoy it, although I will say I was a bit surprised that we got like halfway into it and we're like, yeah, so this is like a show, right? Not just discovery, because originally I thought, (laughs) yeah, I I can do like 15 weeks on my head, especially if there's going to be like, oh, golly, probably 12 to 16 weeks off in between. And then, um, yeah, (laughs) turns out not. uh, But seriously, it's I mean, it's a tremendous amount of fun to get together and talk to people about this about about all well, about discovery but then in the off time uh, it'll be great to talk to people about um about sort of general star trek stuff right like uh dr ali uh, ali excuse me dr ali mm-hmm. matu was with us last week uh he and i talked afterwards i so want to spend another hour talking to him and i would love to bring yeah. him back on talk not just about discovery but you know general general star trek stuff us. I mean, there are going to be novels. There are going to be, there are going to be other things that are always happening in the Star Trek universe. And, you know, if we get bored of that, we can go back and argue about this side of paradise. So really, yeah,
0: well, we've got at least eight shows on us for that.
1: <laughs> yeah. So. Just for this side of paradise. Alone, mm-hmm. You are, mm-hmm. you are not wrong.
0: <laughs> so yeah. So keep an eye on uh, the Facebook page. Keep an eye on our Twitter account. We'll be announcing what is coming uh, probably, you know, early to mid December, Uh, take a look and there will be uh, maybe a whole new mission log live experience. Then when discovery comes back, we will jump back into our discovery discussion. So just a quick reminder, if you're joining us live, well done. Well done. All of you. We're glad that we have you here in the moment with us. Uh, If you're watching the video after we go live, well, you can do that in two places. One would be on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash Mission Log or on YouTube at YouTube.com slash Roddenberry Prod. If you prefer to get your podcast the old-fashioned way, audio only, just like the settlers did it, well, you can do that too. Very soon after this video is done, we will upload the audio only version into its very own podcast feed. You can find it and subscribe to it wherever you get podcasts, like say iTunes, just search for mission log live. You can also go to podcast.roddenberry.com, or you can find this show, the regular mission log plus women at warp and priority one and anything else that we are cooking up. It'll all be there in just a little while. We have Dan Madsen joining us plus your questions and comments before we welcome Dan into the recap, you go. Ken, will you do us the honor, please? I'd be more than happy to. So,
1: the Klingons are still on their way to Pavo, and Starfleet wants no part of it. Even though it means the Klingons will destroy the Povens, Starfleet has ordered the Discovery back to Starbase 46, where everyone will work to figure out how to see through the Klingons' ability to cloak. Now, you can tell Gabriel Lorca what to do, and he will do it. Eventually... They could use this board drive to get back to Starbase 46 immediately, or they could use the warp drive, which will be slower. That'll give them three hours to come up with a plan to stop the Klingons, which means three hours to figure out how to see through their cloak. To make it look good, Lorca orders Stamets to sickbay for a full medical workup. Lorca thinks he's just covering his backside, though Stamets is concerned that Dr. Culber will see the side effects that Stamets has been feeling and get angry about the fact that he hasn't said anything about them. Culber does see the issue, though Stamets says he hasn't felt any effects. That gets more awkward later, though, when Tilly spills the beans that she knows about the side effects. So, yeah. Burnham and Saru have hatched a plan. They can put sensors on the Klingon ship of the dead. Receiving info from the cloaked ship should let them figure out how to read it, even when cloaked. Of course, that means having to beam over, which means making the Klingons uncloak first. They'll do that by being at Pavo when the Klingons arrive, all but daring them to drop cloak and fire. Problem It'll take days to gather and assimilate the info they need, and they don't have days. Solution 133 micro jumps all around the ship of the dead. They'll build their 3D model super quick and be ready to aim and fire. Stamets pushes back. This will be very, very taxing on him and the Spore Drive then Lorca shows Stamets theoretical maps of alternative universes that they might be able to explore after the war. And Stamets is in. As for placing the censors, Tyler and Burnham argue that Tyler and Burnham are the best team for the job. Lorca really, really, really does not want Burnham to go, though she logics him into it. On the Ship of the Dead, things actually go pretty well for Burnham and Tyler. Censor one of two placed, then Burnham picks up a human life sign. They follow it and find Admiral Cornwell still alive. Unfortunately, they also find Lorel, also still alive and Tyler loses it. He is not there. He's flashing back to unimaginable torture performed on Tyler by Laurel. Burnham shoots Laurel to stop her from advancing on Tyler. The alert, though, immobile Cornwell says Tyler's gone into shock, apparently suffering from PTSD. Burnham can expect no help from him right now. So she takes center number two and heads out. Second sensor placed by Burnham, Discovery jumps a few times to impress the Klingons. They cloak, and now the real work begins. Disco begins its 133 jumps, collecting data as it drops in and out of being. It's taking its toll on Stamets. Culber wants to stop it, but Lorca says no. They get through the jumps, though. It'll take another few minutes to really read the cloaked ship. Eventually, though, they do, beaming Cornwell, Tyler, and an accidental third party back to Discovery. Seeing him start to transport, Lorel grabs Tyler and holds on for the beam out. Things have not been going easily for Burnham, though. At one point, Cole was getting ready to warp away, so she showed herself. Using her communicator and the universal translator, she ID'd herself as the human who killed the Kuvma. Cole orders her detained, though she challenges him to a fight instead. And they fight, and right when Burnham's about to lose, Discovery beams her away. With their crew plus two on board and able to read the cloaked ship, Lorca fires upon and destroys the ship of the dead. And with it, call. Because who knows when we're going to get to say that again. (laughs) And with the big bad destroyed, they all lived happily ever after. And you're a dope if you think so. While Tyler seems to be doing better in flashback, we learn more about his time with Laurel. The torture we had seen before was blood and blades. Further flashback shows that he was actually raped by Laurel. Worse, he believes he allowed it to happen, encouraged it. Also, he can't disengage, going to see Laurel in the brig at one point. To edit a Marcellus Wallace line from Pulp Fiction, he's pretty freaking far from okay. Meanwhile, Stamitz had decided that he will live happily ever after. He'll take the disco back to Starbase 46 with one last jump. But that's it. This will be his last jump. Should be fine, except Captain Lorca keys something on his control panel at the last second. Stamets is seriously screwed up now. There's wreckage all around, and no one on Discovery seems to know where in space they are. See you in 2018.
0: Well done, Ken. Ken, there was a lot of plot in that episode. Um, yeah. So nice job bringing it all together. I'm really glad that this was the mid-season break and not the previous episode.
1: Yeah, right. I mean, this mm-hmm. was, I, I know we have a guest to get to. I got it. Well, we should get to the guest. We right. have to talk. About, we have to talk about this episode, though. Like you and I have a couple of thoughts that we have to share about this episode. Because usually we're like, "Oh, we have thoughts, but first we'll get the calls." Okay, we will get to our guest, but yeah, we have to talk about this episode. You and me, Mister.
0: Yeah. And remember uh, that we want to hear from you so you can click that link to join the Zoom call or you can use the phone number and you'll see all of that listed on screen. So give us a call. And in the meantime, we would like to welcome our special guest, Dan Madsen. Now, if you've been around Star Trek fandom for any length of time, Dan might be familiar to you. He is a lifelong fan himself. And has a distinction of being tapped to run the official Star Trek fan club way back in 1979 when he was just 18 years old and producing his own fanzine and diffusing about how awesome Star Trek the motion picture was. So, Dan, you and I, we reach... His fanzine became the official Star Trek communicator, and he stuck with the franchise until Decipher Inc. closed their Star Trek license in 2005. These days, you can find Dan running the marketing for HerUniverse.com and also with Fansets.com. Dan, welcome to the show.
2: Nice. Thank you. I'd love to be here.
0: Excellent. Wow, so,
1: um, forgive me, you can really tell that times have changed when John says... Yes, yeah, so Star Trek's getting ready to launch with a brand new movie, and it's going to be the triumphant return of Captain Kirk. So let's let an 18-year-old kid run the, run the fan club. What do you say?
2: Well, you know, that's an interesting story, actually. I, I started the fan club before it was ever official. <clears throat> Ran it for many years and, uh, and, in fact, would send it to, uh, to Gene Roddenberry, and Gene would write me back a few letters and let me know how much he liked what I was doing. And then Paramount Studios got a hold of it. And uh, and they said, um, I'm telling you the shortened version of it, they sent me uh, a cease and desist letter and said, oh hello, <laughs> you're not doing this uh, officially. And I said, well, you know, I'm just a kid. I was like 18 years old, 19. I said, I'm, I'm just doing this for the passion, for the love of it. Um, and they said, well, we kind of like what you're doing. You have the right amount of professionalism mixed with the right amount of fanaticism. Why don't <laughs> you know, we'll talk about giving you a license. And so I did. And Gene spoke up for me and, uh, he, he gave his blessing and they said, we like what you're doing. And, uh, lo and behold. And then I don't know, weeks later I got a contract that, uh, you know, as thick as a book that I had no idea what I was signing, but I signed it. And, uh, I was. Uh, I ran the official fan club for many,
0: many, many years. Wow. Yeah. A little bit different uh, climate then in 1979 than, uh, than than now. But uh, but well done. That that served you well for a number of years. So now I, I know that your fandom goes back to Tos. It goes way, way back. And and you clearly, as a fan, but also as professional. You've been tied to Star Trek for all those 50, now 50-plus 50 years. And here we are in the unique position of a brand-new Star Trek. Of course, we had the J.J. Abrams movies, but those are kind of one-off where it happens and then it goes away. But, but now we're back to where we wanted to be. Gosh, Enterprise ended over 10 years ago. And with all the fans saying Star Trek belongs on TV, it belongs to something we can watch week after week, and, and here we've got it. Tell me kind of where you are as a fan right now with Star Trek back on TV.
2: Um, you know, I, I love, actually, Discovery. And, you know, I have friends that both um, love it and don't love it, to be quite frank. But uh, I actually really enjoy it. I, I had an open mind going into it. Um, I like the whole concept and the idea of it from the very the, uh, the first nine episodes now I gotta say I've really been enjoying it I like the characters it's very different it's not it's not my Star trek from the original series days it's very different but I like it because it's different I like it because it's unique and it's new. And I like the characters, so I got to be honest. Um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying. It. And and Saru, and, um, and I even like you know I'm Michael Burnham and um, the captain. I and mean, they're all characters that I'm, uh, I'm going one um, to. And uh, I'm to the point now where after this mid-season finale, I'm kind of like, oh man, I have to wait to January to catch more episodes. So. I, I'm enjoying it. I really am enjoying it, and I'm not. I'm not saying that I really, really do.
1: Let me ask you a, a question that's likely to be a tiny bit controversial, but I mean, it's the kind of question that we're all talking about anyway, so I might as well. Um, you know, the kind of thing that drove your passion for Star Trek back in '79. Mm-hmm. Uh, while you're enjoying today's um, uh, today's iteration of Star Trek, and I'm not trying to take that away from anybody, while you're enjoying that. Um, does it evoke or invoke the same kind of passion? Are you, are you seeing the same kinds of things that you saw? Well, in 79, what was that like five or six years ago? Are you seeing the same kinds of things now uh, that you were saying then?
2: Um, you, Are you talking about for me or fandom in general?
1: Um, uh, in, in whichever one you feel like answering, just let us know which one it is.
2: All right. For me, I'll answer it for me. Um, yeah. well, you, know, you have to remember, I mean, what I caught, the original series in, uh, in reruns. Um, and I was 14 years old when I first saw um, the original Star Trek series. Um, so it, it grabbed me right from the very beginning and I became, you know, obviously a lifetime fan from that point on. Um, I guess the question is if, if Star Trek discovery were the first thing I had ever seen, would I be, you know, take it with it and would I become a Star Trek fan from it. Um I, I, I don't know. That's hard to say because, you know, there's so much Star Trek history that's come before it. And uh it it's hard for me to look at it without that, you know, preceding it. But um I I, I think for me, I'm I'm as excited about Star Trek Discovery as I have been of any Star Trek series since The Next Generation. Um, I'd be honest with you. Um, I think I like Discovery as much, if not more, than any of the other series since The Next Gen. Um, I like the look of it. I like the feel of it. I like the characters as they're developing. It's a little dark for me. I got to be honest. I mean, it's not quite the Star Trek that I grew up with, the Star Trek that I have known and loved. It's a little bit dark, but it's kind of, I think, a little bit um, comparison of the times we live in, to be quite frank. Um, so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm as much a fan of Discovery as I have been of anything I've seen since the next generation.
0: Well, I, I wanted to ask you specifically about that then, because uh, clearly you somebody you're somebody who's been around the franchise for a very long time. You you know Star Trek in and out. You've had this foot in the fan world and in the professional world for so long. Um, you know, I, I read comments, both pro and con, about Discovery all the time. Um, what is it in this show that for you is is saying to you that this is star trek though in a way that uh that tls grabbed you when you were young i mean i, I for people who don't know it you you talked about how um how tls really affected you personally that uh, i believe it was plato's stepchildren that that you have written about and talked about many times this was something you identified with and it, and it grabbed you and sort of showed you a message and I'm curious, what is it in Discovery that is emotionally uh, or, or, or socially or politically or whatever it is, that's resonating with you to say, yeah, I'm, I'm behind this show just as much as I was Next Gen or Voyager or DS9 or Enterprise?
2: It's a good question, John. Um, you know, not everybody who's, who's listening and watching this show knows that I'm a little person. And I stand four foot, two inches tall. And so the very first episode of the original series that I ever saw was Plato's stepchildren. And uh, there was a line in that episode that really moved me. And it's when uh, Alexander asked Captain Kirk, he says, you know, what's it like where you come from? And Kirk looks at him and says, Alexander, where I come from, size, shape or color makes no difference. And that it was like a light bulb going off in my head. And so I, you know, when I saw that and, and at the end of the episode, as he beams up to the enterprise with uh, Kirk Spock and McCoy, I couldn't imagine what that must be like to go into a world where um, nobody would judge me for my size or the way I look. And, you know, it, um, after I watched all the episodes of the original series and then waited years and years and saw the movie and then went on to the next gen and, and DS nine and Voyager and, uh, and enterprise. I mean, I, you know, I loved all of them, but you know, they all kind of built on the others. Um, and it was that positive message that I saw within the show that there is, you know, something, there is something about, this, this show that is just positive for everybody, um, that everybody belongs where, you know, bel- belongs in that world that's that's on the Enterprise or any other ship that they're on. So Discovery, for me, I still see that, actually. I still see that magic in the show. I still see, even though I realize they're, you know, Captain Lorca's trying to paint them as a warship and... Uh, I still see the positive attitudes from the crew, the respect for alien life. Um, And, you know, what I'm seeing is the build, they're building upon the foundation that's already, that's already been there. So that's where discovery still works for me. Yes. I said it was darker and that part of me was a little bothered at the very first, but um, I, I think that, given time the show is going to go to places that we have not seen a Star Trek series go to. And, uh, I think it's going to really become even more, how do I say this? More Star Trek than it is even now. And I'm willing to give it that chance to be, to become that down the line.
1: Well, I got to say, I really appreciate you uh, joining us tonight. Um, because you do bring, it's interesting. Everybody brings a history, uh, with them to every uh, Star Trek and every Star Trek discussion, uh, yours is a is, is a really unique one though. Um, and I and I really thank you very much for joining us tonight. Hey, uh, before I let you go, before we let you go, excuse me. Uh, remind everybody where they can find uh, what you're doing.
2: Sure. Well, um, my the company I started with my two partners a year ago is called Fan Sets, and they can find that at fansets.com. dot um, We have a Star Trek license, and so we do pins. Uh, from all the different Star Trek films and television series. We're also doing episode pins from Star Trek Discovery. So every week we have a new episode pin that's based on the episode of uh, Discovery that's aired. Um, but um, so that's one, that's my company. And then I'm also the um, head of publicity for Her Universe, which is another universe, the Star Wars universe, Ashley Eckstein, who's the voice of Ahsoka Tano. on the, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, and Rebels. And uh, that's her business. And we've start. she started a company um, for fangirls, fashion for fangirls. And uh, as well, there's Star Trek fashions for fangirls there um, on heruniverse.com. So those are the two places that uh, you can find the work that I do today
1: you know i'm I'm starting to hear a lot about this star wars it's apparently going to take off at some point i may have to look into it Uh, dan thank you thank you very much for joining
0: us tonight we really do appreciate your coming on
2: and john thank you i appreciate you having me
0: take care dan Till next time really appreciate it live long and prosper you too all right we should remind people that um we're
1: taking calls shouldn't we don't you think we should remind people of that Uh, there's a phone number somewhere on the thing and then uh, if, you, if you click on the other thing there's a link where you can video into us as well in fact i've heard a rumor yes yes that we actually have somebody lined up did you know? Yeah, that's what um, I heard. I, I heard yeah. that we might have Benjamin. Do you do you have the phone number handy by the way, so that people can actually dial it up if they want to?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I, don't forget to uh, to click on the link, click on the Zoom link, and that'll take you directly to us. Or if you call 669 900 6833 and you enter that meeting code that's on the screen, or the meeting code that you can type in, that would be uh three zero seven two two eight four three five That is how you can talk to us. Uh, But we do have a call to go to right now, and that would be Benjamin. Are you there with us, Benjamin?
1: I
3: am. How are you?
1: Doing well. How are you? uh, How's your evening going?
3: It's going great. It's a a real pleasure to get to talk to you guys finally after listening to you for the last couple of years. I promise I will not bring up this side of paradise in any kind of uh, debate fashion. Although, Ken, I will say I agree (laughs) with you entirely.
1: Oh, no, thank you. Well, then you're welcome to bring it up in debate fashion, Benjamin. Feel free. What is, what is on your mind tonight?
3: So much. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure we won't have time to get to it because I would dominate the evening if I talked about all the things that have been on my mind for the past several weeks. Um, but I took notes. And my first note says, number one, the women. And by mm. that, I mean... Uh, culturally, we're at a very important moment of reckoning with all the abuse that's happened to women historically, and that people are finally starting to get it through their thick skulls is a real part of life in the world, in this country, as humanity. And I greatly, the last thing anybody needs to hear is what one more white guy has to say about it. But I so appreciate how women are being portrayed in Discovery i so appreciate that nobody is like oh and she's the hot one Mm -hmm. i so appreciate that that the interactions everybody is an officer everybody is a person everybody's got their their normal hair it's it's a small thing that should be the normal thing it should be the way women are portrayed all the time and it's rare in entertainment and I'm, i'm glad to see star trek leading the way with that. I mean, it's, it's not like they've never done it before. Of course Jane, there's Janeway, but eventually oh, we got to get somebody in a cat suit in here. You know, discovery is really doing it across the board and nobody is being made a spectacle of everybody is a member of that crew. Uh, that's, that was the first most important thing that I wanted to say that I haven't heard a lot of people talk about. I've seen a couple of comments online, but
0: it's, yeah. it, it, it's hit me strongly right from the beginning. That that is such an excellent point. Thank you for bringing that up. We we have not spent a lot of time talking about that on our show. And um, yeah, well well said. By the way, before you go to your next point, um, I, I sense that there's a little bit of competition uh, among our callers to have the coolest background uh, when they call us. <laughs> and and right now, okay, not only are you representing, you have the the uh, discovery badge on, but you have that's just
3: my toothpick.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> nice, <yeah. laughs> nice. But well done. You have. Um, I want to come hang out at your place because you have the coolest background right now. You I, was gonna,
1: I was going to. I was yeah. going to say actually, I'm sure Benjamin made a really good point, but I was just like, "Have I played pinbot? I can't remember. I think I might have played pinbot at some point." When
3: I was twelve, at the Virginia Beach boardwalk, pinbot was the game that made me fall in love with pinball. So nice. Right. I'm so,
1: forgive me for doing this. Yeah. Do you remember Matahari? I that that pinball yeah. machine, yeah, that was that was mm-hmm. that was one of my favorites. For some reason, that had really good playability, and also the Black Knight. But you know, this will be for our pinball oh, podcast, which is not going to happen
0: until like twenty one fifty seven,
3: right? Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> After all, right. all the
0: other podcasts. Yep. <laughs> what else you got for us, Benjamin?
3: Uh, right off the bat, the very first episode. Uh, I love that we are dropped right in the middle of Burnham's Kobayashi Maru moment. And I love that nobody put a fine point on that. I don't know if the writers even intended it that way, but that's certainly what I took from it. Um, she's in a no win scenario and she's doing the best thing that she can think to do at great personal expense. Um, I love that that is where we start this story. It's a very Star Trek humanistic way to start a story. Um, it gives us so much opportunity to explore her character and redeem her character in the eyes of everybody else. And they did it a lot more subtly than what they did a couple weeks ago with having her and Ash Tyler recite chapter and verse of the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few, because I, up to this point, I never thought of that as like a Vulcan bumper sticker truism.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, you know, that, that's a good point. I, I, Ken and I have talked before about how we like it when a story starts in the middle. They did a great job with that in The Cage. They did a terrible job with that in uh, Encounter at Farpoint, but <laughs> so be it. Um, didn't they didn't uh, do that job. <laughs> yeah, Right, exactly. Uh, but, but the thing that you're describing is that, um, we can have this big, long discussion about the relative optimism of Discovery versus other Star Trek. The thing that I like is that regardless of what's happening, you've got moral conundrums, you've got problems that aren't easily solvable in 48 minutes. And every now and then, Star Trek gives us a taste of that. You know, uh, as great as the Wrath of Khan is, well, you have a bad guy who needs to be defeated. And if you defeat the bad guy at the end of the movie, then you've won the movie. Now, sadly, we lose Spock, but don't worry, Spock is coming back. Go back to an episode like, um, uh, well, go back to TOS and, uh, not, not the site apparent. Private Little War. Thank you. Yes. I'm blanking on my TOS now. Um, there is an episode that just fully exists in the gray area. There is no good answer to what they're doing, but it was relatable, realistic problem. That the audience could identify with because of the world they were living in in 1967, 68 Vietnam raging half a world away. So I I love that Discovery is taking that tactic, too. And and sure, I can see how that can disorient some longtime uh, Trek fans
1: for sure. You and I still, and we and we haven't gone back to it because there's been so much other stuff to talk about, but you and I at the end of the two-parter, uh, at the end of uh, Battle of the Binary Era at the Binary Stars, uh, still weren't sure whether what Burnham had done was the right thing to do. I mean, obviously, insurrection, mm-hmm. we would generally say, no, that's not a good thing to do, or, or, or mutiny. Generally speaking, not a good thing to do, but she was trying to do it for a greater purpose. and And I think that's one of the reasons I was interested in tonight's poll question as well. They have... John has said on more than one occasion, they're not just handing us Star Trek in this series. And so Lorca looks like a bad guy. Lorca has looked like a bad guy several times. And I'm not convinced that when we get to it, he's actually going to be. And so I'm curious what vibe people are picking up off of that. But yeah, it's I mean, it's really interesting. The only mustache twirling villain we've had is is Mud. I mean, even well, and Cole. Cole as well. But, I mean, everybody else has had, has had reasons for what they were doing. They've had nuances for what they were doing. Well, I would certainly argue that Laurel is now actually very much a mustache twirling. She has no mustache, but still. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but, yeah, I mean, generally speaking, there are, there are reasons for the things that people are doing, and we might not fully understand them. Um, yeah. And it, it's, it's interesting to be able to play with characters, and not just have somebody come on screen and go, Oh, well, they're the bad guy, and know for certain that you're right, even by the end of that episode.
3: Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm a little disappointed with what they did with Harry Mudd. I had hoped for bigger and better with that. Um, and I, I would have liked to have seen the episodic episodes come a little further in, like maybe in the second season. Um, mm-hmm. That said, they did a ton with Sarek. And, John, you can cut me off now if you think we don't have time for this because I've got a
0: big rant on that. <laughs> okay, give us a little taste on it here. What uh, what, what are your thoughts on Sarek?
3: You've had a preview, um, but my my take on this is, Ken, you're dead wrong about Sarek being the worst father ever. <laughs> uh, he, he's a, he's, All right, Benjamin, you he's can the stay. You can so stay. All
0: right. Problem. Okay, great.
3: <laughs> um, but Sarek, Sarek is not only not the worst father, he's he's the best Vulcan. Sarek is the best Vulcan in the room. We, we have seen repeatedly uh, Vulcans, at least the ones in positions of authority, be uh, jerks, to use mm-hmm. a, an FFC-friendly uh, term. Uh, it goes right back to the first time we go to Vulcan. Uh, Spock, your friends are outworlders. They have no business here. And then in uh, the motion picture, oh, Spock, you're picking up on a consciousness in space. That's because you're half human and you suck. Mm-hmm. And Sarek, you brought your zombie back here and everybody's in a stolen Klingon spacecraft and no one gave me a memo and your your request for Faltor Pan is not logical. And and we see this over and over and over and over again. And I'm not convinced that the Vulcans are as enlightened as they would like us to believe. And we've, we've talked about that on long before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Sarek is living it in it. Sarek is saying, we have forged an alliance with this race. I want to know who they are. I'm going to go all in. And everybody around Sarek is treating him like he's an idiot or a dabbler. And he's actually living his life according to Vulcan principles. And then he's put in in a deeply impossible situation by other Vulcans who are not exactly xenophobic, but they certainly uh, are high and mighty about their superiority.
1: Yeah, it almost feels to me, though, like Sarek is having a guess who's coming to dinner moment, except he doesn't come around at the end. I mean, he's always thought humanity's (laughs) fine. He's always thought humanity's great. And yes, he really respects humanity. But my son is going to go to the Vulcan science expedition or whatever it's called. My son is going to live as a Vulcan, love humans, married a human for crying out loud, have a half human child. And it turns out I raised another one that I never told anybody about when you were watching the first (laughs) series. But that's a whole other thing. But then once his son decides, you know what? Yeah, Idik. You, you are absolutely right, Dad, Itik. In fact, you know what? I'm going to go hang out with these people. Then he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Ittik is fine. <laughs> but come on. I had plans for you. I mean, he's punishing Spock for not being what he wants Spock to be. And that's what makes him bad as far as I'm concerned. Maybe not the worst. Okay, I'll grant you. He is a good human. He is a bad father. I'm sorry. He's a good being. Excuse me. He's a good Vulcan. He's a bad father.
0: That's funny. Uh, granted. Josh, yeah. Josh in our uh, chat he's here on an, Facebook he's says uh, he's the Arthur Weasley of Star Trek. So uh, <laughs> thank you for that, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I,
3: I feel sympathy I, uh, for Star I feel like he's in a singularly difficult position. Oh, yeah. No. galaxy.
1: Again, he is not a mustache twirling bad guy. He is, he is, no. look, I, I understand why he is the way he is. It's just, I mean, you're right. He is, he is the way he is outside the house. And I kind of wish he was, you know, inside as well. Hey, you heard John say that we are going to uh, be doing the live show again, like between, um, between iterations of discovery, right? I did. Yeah. Okay. I have to encourage you to call back at some point because I know you've got more notes, yeah. And, oh, uh, and, and, and personally, I'm, yeah. I'm finding this uh, discussion fascinating. So well,
0: if you will, that please. Is, that
3: is the highest flattery you could have given me, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Thanks thank you, thank this, you very much for calling in. Absolute pleasure to hear from you and, uh, and see you. We've been chatting online a lot. So uh, definitely join us again sometime when you can. Thanks okay, a lot, guys. man. Have a great night. Live long and prosper. Live long and prosper, man. And also with you, hey. <laughs> we have uh, we have business that we
1: need to do, John. Uh, somebody, by the way, asked me. Oh, I think I already addressed that last week. It's not Wednesday night, but it is still business time because uh, the good people at uh, Eagle Moss have uh, have once again agreed to say yes. I will pay you to talk about Star Trek with other people. Not pay <laughs> us two, but you know they will they will support our endeavor here. I would say, and so if you'll uh, grant us a moment or two. I would love to tell you about the, um, about the Discovery Starships.
0: Yes, so uh, we have uh, been so enthusiastic about their teeny tiny starships, and if you look on screen right now, you will see the fantastic model that they have done of the Discovery. You'll also see the Shenzhou, and that's just a taste of the incredible, official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection coming in early 2018. So this special collection features a brand, all the brand new ship concepts and designs from Star Trek Discovery, Each one has gone through extensive reference study and has been reproduced under the supervision of Star Trek expert Ben Robinson for accuracy and detail. I got to be honest, John, I
1: have not been certain whether I actually like the design of the discovery. And then um, when it was moving around in this episode, when it was actually, you know, doing the sort of back and forth, back and forth with the Klingon ship, I came Mm. to appreciate Uh, the design of the Discovery a lot more. So I'm thinking really what I should have is like, you know, a a big one of these, because these are the bigger models. They're about eight inches uh, from tip to tail. And uh, I think if I'd had one of these to like run around with in my house and just be like, you know, pew, pew, pew.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, he'll do
1: that. I think I would have liked it a bit more. Uh, That's not the way we start, though. We actually start with the Shenzhou, the NCC1227 in the larger size, almost eight inches, as I say. Um, each ship comes with a display base. Each ship comes with um, with uh, with a magazine that tells you about uh, both the design in this world and also um, you know, sort of the end universe stuff and uh, The attention to detail is the same as you 've come to expect on the tiny little starships, only bigger
0: <laughs> and important to note. There are limited quantities of these ships coming in early 2018. So right now, now, right now is the time to guarantee your subscription by reserving your first ship, the USS Shenzhou NCC 1227 for only $9.95 with free shipping. The ship itself will be sent to you on or before January 31st, 2018. New models will then ship monthly and be delivered directly to your door. Subscribers also enjoy an exclusive 20% discount on every Starship in the series, along with free shipping. And you may cancel your subscription at any time, but but why would you? Because look at these things are beautiful.
1: They are indeed. Plus, pew, 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 pew. <laughs> uh, for details on the entire collection and to reserve your place among the first to subscribe, please visit eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starships. That address again is eaglemoss.com slash Discovery Starships. And, uh, and, and a super big thanks to EagleMoss for, uh, for, for sponsoring our discovery of Discovery Load these many weeks.
0: Hey, Ken, uh, by the way, update on the poll here, uh, yeah. talking about Lorca. So 67% say good guy, 33% say bad guy.
1: I didn't ask you what you think. Well, yeah, we always mm-hmm. say that that's putting a thumb on the scale. So maybe we shouldn't do that. Maybe we should yeah. Maybe we shouldn't say it. Right maybe can we I should just... wait until it's
0: all done and then say what we thought. <laughs> I, well, I tell you, what, I, I will say this. <laughs> I like the character of Lorca. Yeah. I, oh, I mean, yeah. from the minute I, I, I said this on our first show, when, when we met him, which was episode three, it had that Gary Mitchell vibe where it was just the guy belongs there. He's been there yeah. forever. You totally believe it. He belongs there. And and he's sort of magnetic to watch on screen because of that. You just believe it. Everything that he's yeah. in, whether he's being manipulative and horrible or potentially uh, uh, maybe having some heart toward his characters, uh, toward mm-hmm. his crew. Um, you just believe it. So uh, We don't usually take a tremendous amount of time
1: to talk about the actual production of the production, but since you've kind of approached that, because I think part of that has to do with the writing, but part of that also has to do with Jason Isaacs. He's just, mm-hmm. uh, and, and when he came in with the Southern accent, I wasn't 100% certain. I don't see anything wrong with his British accent. Um, And yet uh, there he was with that and, and man, he is just, he's nailed it. Um, Not quite in the way that, you know, uh, five minutes before the show's over, Patrick Stewart's going to give you something to really chew on. Right. Uh, His moments are sort of interspersed throughout, uh, but they're, but they're just incredible. There was a production thing that I said, we have to talk about the episode. We have to make sure that we do. Yes. Uh, Watching this two or three times for uh, this week's show. I couldn't help thinking of return of the Jedi. Now, Say mm-hmm. what you want to about Return of the Jedi. Um, walks. I said it. I said Ewoks. Yeah, well, there you yeah. go. And, that, and, and you're not mm-hmm. wrong. Nope. But um, it, towards the end of Return of the Jedi, it really, it really does a really good job, right? I mean, there's the fight on Endor, there's the duel on the Death Star, and then there's the flight to destroy the Death Star. And we got that in this episode as well. And I noticed it when I was writing the recap it's like, do I want to go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth to everything? or do I want to separate these out, but they were cut. They were interspersed so wonderfully. You said earlier that you're glad that this was, maybe you said it or maybe it's in your notes. I apologize if I'm jumping ahead. Mm -hmm. You were glad that this was the episode for the cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah, Because I mean, it was, it was, it was pulse pounding. It got us to the end. And then of course it turns out, Oh, we're not even close to the end because now we have no idea where we are and what's all that stuff floating around outside. Mm -hmm. Um, This was this, might be my favorite episode so far. Just, I mean, just technically speaking. I mean, it was just yeah. so well done. And then on top of that, there are the horrors uh, that were experienced by, the um, uh, horrors that were experienced by Tyler. He, uh, we we saw that without seeing it. I mean, there was so many jump cuts and so many like, you know, quick cuts that honestly tends to be much more jarring than like, oh, we're going to show them cutting off the top of his head or whatever's happening. Because mm-hmm. I don't even know mm-hmm. what was happening in half those scenes because it was like that. Um this this particular episode was just a was uh from a production standpoint I think just a tour de force.
0: Yeah, I um I, we didn't really talk about it last week, but I, I have to admit okay. that last week's episode was not my favorite. You know, mm-hmm. I I I thought there was a lot of good meaty stuff that we got to talk about. I enjoyed talking about Saru. I enjoyed talking about the uh the, the sense of exploration in the episode, but um yeah, it, it really didn't do as much for me as some of the other, other episodes. Uh, the, the Harry Mudd episode really stood out to me because it was a change in pace and style for this Star Trek. To have a standalone, essentially a standalone episode in the middle of this big arc was kind of cool to see, and there was a lot of fun with it. They took a familiar Trek trope and then just sort of turned it on its head. So I was glad to see that. But then what we got um, last week, I, I just sort of felt like, okay, it's an episode. I'm not. I'm not heavily invested in it one way or the other. This one blew me away, and there was something about it that I felt like, um, you know, going back to this ongoing conversation about the the relative positivity or optimism in the show. Even you have, even though you have this incredibly difficult background, uh, the war that all of these characters are faced with. You do have a crew that seems to be coming together more and more every week. Now, you go to that scene with Stamets and Lorca, and is Stamets being played by Lorca? Well, (laughs) okay, maybe, maybe not. Um, Is the need there genuine? Yes. Um, Are the other characters there sort of uh, uh, having each other's backs? Yes, that's really nice to see even though we've taken Star Trek and put it in the most difficult position it can be in, which is a war story.
1: Yeah. Hey, I know we have a uh, we have a video call. Somebody actually uh, dropped a video on us earlier that they wanted yes. to send us a question.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. So that is a call from uh Jason in Japan if we can go ahead and roll that call.
1: Hi, guys. Greetings
3: from Japan. Uh, quick question. Stamets eyes. Gary Mitchell? Yes or no? What do you think? Thank you guys for everything. See you.
1: Oh, I feel a, uh, I feel a, a parody song. He's got <laughs> Gary you? Mitchell eyes. He's got Gary Mitchell eyes, yeah. <laughs> yeah oh, he'll take yeah, a tumble yeah, upon absolutely. you, you know. Yeah, mm-hmm. so uh, if we know anybody who does parody songs, <laughs> we should get them. Because <laughs> that'll be all the rage at uh, SCLB 2018. Yes,
0: <laughs> so so. Do you have a feeling about the uh, the question? There has has Stamets maybe gained some interesting uh breaking the galactic barrier powers like Gary Mitchell had. Of course, we don't know that yet. But uh. well, we don't know about we don't know about strength. Although I think in the scenes
1: from next the next half of the season, we did see him throw somebody across the room. Might have been Culber. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, but I I seem to remember asking. Do you think he's going to become like a traveler guy or one of those like godlike people that we've seen before? So honestly, I'm really glad to see that. I'm really glad to see it happening. Um, Something has happened with him, definitely. I mean, he could become some kind of traveler person. He could become some kind of Gary Mitchell person. Um, Either way, he is going to become something that I think our crew is not going to know exactly how to deal with and speaking philosophically then you got the chance to say wow it's sort of like all those other times that we've done something thinking hey this will be a good idea and uh, we end up creating something uh, a bit troubling as a result <laughs> but i mean that's that's maybe
0: drawing a, a, too far a line at this point i'm just excited to see what happens to him what about you uh, it, it was certainly building the drama every time they said just one more jump just one no. more jump. You, you knew was it the, was coming. That was that, the only problem I had with this
1: episode. That is like when the movie starts, <laughs> and and the cop says, "I'm three minutes away from retiring." And you're like, "Oh well." Either he doesn't get to retire, or he's going to die. One of the two things. And so when they said right. like the seventh time, "Okay, just this one last job," it's like, "Okay, well, mm-hmm. yeah, we're going to be here a while."
0: I didn't mind it. I, I'm invested in the Stamets <laughs> character and, and I like that he's changed so much. He's changed more in the last nine episodes than any other yeah. character. And yeah. I was kind of glad we got away from the comedy hippie version of Stamets and. Now we've just been introduced to a new Stamets. i um, so got kind of to uh, do one more thing, and this will be good for you for trivia
1: like 10 or 12 years from now when we actually go back to this. Sure, uh, I'll remember that. Yeah, Saying that he wants to go see the opera of La Boheme is, yes. a, great shout, is a great shout out to Rent, which, of course, um, I can't Anthony remember his name, but Anthony, Anthony Rapp, Rapp, thank you, yeah, yeah. Uh, was in, I believe, the original Broadway production. I know he yeah. was in the movie. Uh, so that's cute and a special
0: kind of geeky. <laughs> it was really nice so i to answer jason's call and thank you jason for calling all the way in from japan um i i, I don't know you, you presented it as sort of a poll question yes or no I, i'm gonna say no i i think maybe it's an interesting uh i, I think it's an interesting reference to what we got and where no man has gone before but i don't know that it's the same i don't know if we're going to go down the same path as we did with uh with gary mitchell but something's up Something's up with Stamets, and like you, Ken, I'm anxious to see where that heads.
1: Yeah, yes. Uh, we got a call coming up in just a moment. Before we get to that, really quickly, I want to remind people uh, about uh, 30 minutes after we end this show, a new show begins. Uh, the good people at Priority One are going live tonight. Uh, they'll also be talking about Discovery, and they'll also be talking about other fun Star Trek stuff. So it is uh, Facebook.com/slash Priority One Podcast. Facebook.com slash priority one podcast. When we finish up here, get up, stretch your legs, grab a snack, then, uh, then go to mission log. I'm sorry. Go to Facebook.com slash priority one podcast. And, and, and visit with the fine people over there. uh, Priority one part of the Roddenberry podcast network.
0: Hey, uh, Kenneth in the Facebook chat says, uh, I think Lorca is pretty Ducat. He's pretty gold Ducat. So, all right. Interesting. Nicely <laughs> nice, nice said, Kenneth. All right. <laughs> all right. Yeah, so they, uh, let's yeah. Let's go over to yeah, Sam. Ahead. Hey, hey Sam. hey, Sam.
1: What's on your mind tonight? What are your predictions for the next half of the
2: season?
0: <laughs> uh i i predict about six more episodes uh um, nice i like that yeah 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 i oh
1: man i can actually i mean uh, uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> see what you did sam you weren't expecting I, this
1: i haven't no i have an idea actually that i haven't I've, I've talked it over with like a friend but i don't know see i'm afraid that you know, the problem with if you say something and then if you're right, then people are like, oh, you must have known something. And if you're wrong, people are like, oh, he's an idiot. You know, so <laughs> I have I, my hope and this may sound crazy, but my hope is when Discovery gets back from wherever they are, that they've missed the end of the Klingon war. We, we've now seen the war thing and we've seen them, you know, uh, sort of step up and be better people because of uh, having to fight, you know, uh, and having to band together, really. And my hope is by the time they get back, that the information that Lorca sent to them and now they can read the cloak ships and, and we're done. That's not a prediction. That is, if somebody said to me, so what would you like to see? I would like for us to come back and not still have the war to fight. I'd like the war to be done which is still going to throw people because they're going to think they're coming back to the war. And then all of a sudden, if it's like, Oh yeah, no, we're not doing that now. <laughs> and then, mm. then what happens to Burnham at that point? And what is, um, what is uh, security specialist Ash Tyler's? Does he really go back to Montana where it was he said? Montana, Alaska, whatever. He's eating trout. Wyoming.
0: I can't yeah. remember. Right. Right. Fresh yeah.
1: caught trout. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cooking it though, because you know,
0: You know that you raise an interesting question, Ken, because now I'm thinking about star Trek beyond and you had this predicament in that movie where you take a warrior who is steeped in war in this episode of uh, discovery uh, Lorca addresses the crew as the finest warriors he has served Mm. with, you know, it's very out of step for the star Trek that we know, but it is the predicament. It is the state of the star Trek that we're in. And, um, you have this problem with the end of beyond where you have a character who can't sort of rewire his mind for a world where there is peace for a a galaxy where peace is the goal. He, all he knows is war. So, so what do you do then? And I'm kind of curious to see that if we do come out of the, the end of the first season where there is no war, at least it's minimized so much that that isn't the primary focus. Do we have characters who can't adjust for that? Um, if Lorca among them, but if everybody in Starfleet is saying we're doing this mission because we need to finish this war, we need to get out of it. Okay. Well, then what, then what are you actually going for at the end of the day? When, when you finish that part of the job, can you readjust and can you put your, your mind, your, your tactical mind, your resources towards something better and beneficial? So be curious to see where we land there, John. Should we turn the question back on Sam? Yeah. Oh, by the way, but and and Sam, I I want to know your take, and I'll just throw in here that Earl, our buddy Earl, says uh, prediction, action, adventure, and really wild things.
1: <laughs>
0: it's so. Excitement, adventure, and really wild
1: things. But I love the I love mm-hmm. the Hitchhiker's callback. That's awesome. What about yeah. you, Sam? Do you ever do you have a prediction? Uh, no, not exactly, but I I'm pretty sure
2: you're. Sort of right about that. I vaguely remember hearing that one of the writers said something about season two
1: being about what happens after the war. Mm. Hmm. I, I, I do. I do know that the war that we're supposed to end the war arc at the end of season one. I seem to remember hearing that from one of the writers as well. The question is, is Discovery going to come back and still be in the middle of the war or is the whole thing going to be done if we get to go off and do something that's not war for the rest of this season, um, that would that would that would be an interesting thing to me. That would, um, I mean, uh, here's the thing though: this show. I don't want to say I didn't think I was going to like the show. I didn't know how much I was going to like the show. This show has has pleased me with how much I enjoy it, with how much I look forward to it. And it has not been a chore to watch any of the episodes that we've seen a second time or a third time to prepare for this show.
0: Can't say and that about Next Gen. Cannot say that about Next Gen. <laughs> can't say it about TOS. Can't say it about the
1: animated series. Can't say it about most Star Trek. Now, maybe that's the benefit of there are only nine episodes. Hmm. Um, here is my one prediction uh, for the second half. I am going to binge the whole thing again over the holidays uh, so that I can be you know primed and ready uh, when it starts back up uh, first week of January.
0: Yeah. Yeah. uh, That sounds like a good plan. Sam, thank you so much. Always a pleasure to hear from you. You're welcome. All right. Take care. Have a good night. Thanks.
1: We should remind people, I I mean, you know, we're on the Twitters. We're on the Twitters someplace. And, of course, we're on the Facebooks as well. So uh, keep an eye out for when, because there are lots of questions, you know, around Discovery. But then there are lots of sort of like bigger questions, bigger Star Trek questions. The kind that we asked Dan uh, when we had him on earlier um, that we don't really necessarily get to talk about in this one short hour that we spend with people every week and and certainly the way mission log is built we 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 almost never get to talk about those things because we're analyzing one particular episode. So, I'm excited about what we're going to do sort of during the hiatus not for the next couple of weeks, but I'm excited about what we're going to do during the hiatus uh, to be able to talk about sort of like you know, bigger Star Trek things and maybe maybe do a little compare and contrast with, you know, some of the other Star Trek and Discovery and some of the bigger ideas that are that are being presented that we might not get to each week.
0: Yeah. I mean, look, we're, we're in the unique position, Ken, that, uh, obviously we're coming at this show as fans. And fortunately, you and I have both really enjoyed discovery. But I know that there are people who haven't, there are mm-hmm. people who don't. And maybe we'll get into some of those sort of, uh, top down, those sort of like bird's eye view questions about discovery, because what we do here is very reactionary week to week. And I love it that we get to hear from people saying, I love this or I didn't like this or what's going on here. And we're sort of putting the puzzle together. But um, I think what we do when we come back in a couple of weeks will be, will be very different. So uh, do, do watch this space. The only lame
1: part of this show is it does have to come to end or to end end each week, which it does now. Unfortunately, I do want to let you know before we let you go, though, that Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer Rod Roddenberry. Technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks. Producer Brandon Bradley. And be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, not just Mission Log Live, but also Women at Warp and Priority One, and one. Once again, we would very much like to thank Eagle Moss and the official Star Trek Starships collection for sponsoring this show, www.EagleMoss.com slash Discovery Starships.
0: Thank you, everybody, for watching. Live long and prosper.